morning. Oh, so good to see you. By the way, I'm going to be using a handheld today because every time I use the in-ear one, it like flickers and we can't figure out why. And I think I have a theory now. Last time I was here, I preached at the second service and then the power went out after the second service. I think I'm just such a great preacher, like it messes all the electronics up. I think that might be it. Or I'm a narcissist. I don't know. But either way, I have to use a handheld today, and I hope that you're able to hear me okay. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. If you would please, uh, as we get ourselves settled in uh, for a time of teaching, would you find your way to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 11, as we're going to continue your series that you're walking through uh, the book of Acts with. Last week, uh, you had the opportunity to hear uh, Pastor Adam preach what, what I got to hear. It was just a fabulous uh, reflection on, on Acts chapter 10. If you haven't listened to that yet, I'd strongly encourage you to do so uh, as you looked at the story of Peter uh, going to the home of Cornelius and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles uh, for the first time uh, in the book of Acts. Um, I do just want to mention tonight is going to be our last iteration of a four-week lecture series uh, that I've been invited to come in and do on the topic of sexuality, gender, and the Bible. This will be our final one uh, tonight. I'd really encourage you to come. We're going to talk about uh, developing a sexual worldview, and that is how to, as a Christian, how to remain faithful in a very complex world and how to think about sexuality long-term, and I think you'll find that to be really helpful. I certainly hope you come tonight, and it's just been a rich uh, season of conversations for me, I can say, uh, and I, had to, I hope it's been helpful for you as well. Let's pray. God, this morning as we uh, take a few moments to reflect on the words of Scripture, uh, would your uh, Holy Spirit, uh, would your Spirit be present in this room for us as we do the work of attending to your voice? God, we want to hear your voice, and not only hear your voice, but obey your voice. And so would you, by the Holy Spirit today, uh, would you give us clarity of heart and mind to know what you're saying so that we can go and do the things of God? Thanks be to Jesus. Would you say amen with me this morning? Amen. Amen. Terrific. Love it. Acts chapter 11. Let me read the text. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and a trance came upon me and I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. And I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And then it was pulled up to heaven again. Verse 11. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. 
The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Uh, These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift, he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus. Who was I to get in the way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God. And they said, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Church, would you say amen? Amen. Over this beautiful recounting of Peter's story. Context. This moment in the book of Acts is wildly important for understanding the whole storyline of the Bible. And it's important because this chapter and the chapter that precedes it, as Peter brings the gospel to the Gentiles, represents what is basically the Bible's entire question that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. In the Garden of Eden, humans had relationship with God in the Eden space. Genesis 3, they are deceived. Genesis 4, they are no longer in Eden. And truth be told, The rest of the Bible is about one question. God wants humans to be back in Eden. This chapter is critical for us because it represents the moment where that message of God's reconciliation to the world goes beyond the boundaries of the Jewish community. The earliest Christians were all Jewish followers of Christ, circumcised the men. The earliest iteration of the church was predominantly Jewish followers of Jesus. But now, something has happened. God is doing something new. Because the gospel, the story of Jesus, and the kingdom is now going to go to the rest of the world. title my message this morning, When God Does a New Thing. When God Does a New Thing. Uh, this last week, I was uh, uh, reading a, a book for endorsement. It's pre- pretty common for me to get a book to uh, endorse. And uh, there's a, a book that's going to be coming out that I had the chance to read uh, this week. And I wrote a, 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 an endorsement for the, but in the In the book, there's a whole chapter in this book about looking at the story of God in the Bible through the lens of trees and soil. It's a really interesting little little chapter. And in this this book, the author um, quotes a a book maybe some of you have read, uh, a a book by uh, an uh, ecology guy named Peter Wollobin who wrote a book called The Hidden Life of Trees. There may be a few of you have heard of this or read this book. It's just a really interesting book about the life of trees. And trees are interesting 
uh, obviously uh, interesting uh, living organisms that um, we have a lot of, and by, of course the entire storyline of the Bible is a story that begins with trees and ends with trees. Trees are a big deal in the Bible. But in this book, he talks about uh, Yellowstone National Park. Uh, have you ever been to Yellowstone National Park? Okay, if you haven't, if you have not had, as my son and I did two years ago, if you have not had a bison lick your window in your car, <laughs> you ain't lived yet. I mean, uh, it, 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 and, and my son, I think, has maybe some, some structural fears now of bison that we might wisely need to get, get him into some therapy around. But he... It's, it's, I was raised going to Yellowstone with my grandpa, my grandma, my dad, uh, big Yellowstone guy. And um, in, the, in this book, uh, Peter Willoughby in The Hidden Life of Trees, he talks about uh, what happened in the 1920s uh, in Yellowstone. Um, in the 1920s, uh, the, in general, the wolf population of Yellowstone was largely decimated. For a number of reasons, the wolves were uh, either killed, eradicated, or moved out of the park. And he narrates what happened in the park after the wolves uh, were taken out of uh, Yellowstone. And what happened actually is that the park, immediately after the wolves were removed or, or were no longer thriving in their populations, is that the park began to fall apart. And, uh, and, th- and that essentially what, what happened was it was overrun with elk that would stay in one space and just decimate one area and, and they would never move. And when uh, wolves were once again kind of integrated into Yellowstone, imagine this, the park began to flourish again. Because what happened was the wolves, if you're an elk, you don't like wolves. And so what do you do? Is you, you are constantly on the move to get away from the wolves, which in the end for an ecosystem is really good. Because the elk are constantly moving and they're not staying in one area and just decimating one area. It actually turns out that for much of Yellowstone today, its flourishing is due to the reintegration of wolves into, okay, what's, what's the point? Here's the point. What does this have to do with what we're talking about today? Everything. The longer you follow Jesus, you're going you're gonna to have this experience. Maybe a word of warning from somebody who maybe just a few steps down the road, some of your steps down the road from me, but I can tell you that, I can, I can just tell you this. There are moments in the Christian life where you think in your mind, you think, I've arrived. I've, I've, got it, I've got it going well, I'm set, and it's just cruising from here on out. And, and you think, there's no changes, we're just, we're good to go. And then, and, then, and then all of a sudden, what does God do? He reintroduces the wolves. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I guess we're moving now. And I guess, oh, like, I thought we were going to do this for the rest of our life. Oh, I guess we're going to do this now. You, you know, we, we believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But that does not mean that you and I are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, for Jesus to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, he never changes. But he often calls us to do new things. God never changes. But there will be moments in your life when, when you're gonna wake up and all of a sudden you're gonna start having dreams and visions and intuitions and whispers in your heart where you're, you just know God is inviting you to do something that is new. God shakes things up. 
In fact, just an interesting little point here. I, I don't know if this was pointed out when you looked at Acts chapter one. Um, do you remember the very last chapter in the, in the book of Matthew? It was, it was at Matthew 28. Do you remember Jesus comes to his disciples right after he resurrects and he's about to ascend to heaven. And he's, he comes to his disciples and what does he say to them? He says, I want you to go into all the nations and, and teach them to obey all the things I commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, go. He says, go. <clears throat> My friend Len Sweet says, most of the prophets, most of the prophets, the first word out of, the, out of God's mouth to the prophet is go. Two-thirds of the word God is go. <laughs> go. And so God says, go into all the nations. And then you come to Acts 1, which is the next chapter. And Jesus there does not say go. <laughs> he says, wait. Wait for what? Wait for the Holy Spirit. You have one chapter where Jesus goes, go, go, wait. You remember red light, green light? <laughs> go, wait. Go, and you, if you're the disciple, you're like, Do I go wait? It actually turns out, catch this two things. It actually turns out part of doing the mission of God is waiting. That's astounding. So, some of you are brand new Christians. And I know God is, gonna, God is telling you to go, he, He's telling all of us to go. It's two thirds of His name. He's telling all of us to go. But I gotta tell you what. Sometimes before he sends you to do the thing you're called to do, he's gonna tell you, I just want you to wait for the Holy Spirit for a little bit. And I want you to see that the same Jesus that said go is the same Jesus who said wait over here. The early Christians, Peter got this, he understood it. They did not, this is critical for a church at this moment in time. Because friends, we, do we believe in the Holy Spirit? That was not loud enough. Do we believe in the Holy Spirit who lives in us and empowers us and is with us and goes before us and is besides us and above us and below us and around us? He's all over us. He is going with us. We believe in the Holy Spirit, but you and I do not follow a plan. We follow a person. And when you follow a person, it feels like, go, wait, oh, wait. Red light, green light. It actually turns out when you follow Jesus, you must constantly be ready for God to invite you into the new thing. Seventeen years ago, my wife and I are in a hotel room in Los Angeles, California. And I had been having these weird intuitions, these weird feelings. Actually, Abby Chapel was there. Not in LA, but she, we knew her back in this long time ago. And we began to sense, my wife and I began to sense that God was asking us to leave Eugene and move to Portland and start a church. And it took about two years for us to flesh that out. This may be 15 years ago, 16 years ago, flesh that out. And we eventually moved to Portland and we started a church that continues to worship to this day called Theophilus. They're just doing phenomenal work. They're killing it. They're killing it. And I'm not there. And it turns out God can kill it even when you're not there. 
But God told us to go and start this community, and we did. And in year nine, we took a sabbatical. And during our sabbatical, Jesus said, good job, guys. You're done. And the same God that called us to go was the same God who called us to stop. If you are more interested in following the plan than the person of Jesus, I would strongly encourage you to keep the Holy Spirit out of your life. Because when you follow the Holy Spirit, you do not follow a plan. You follow a person. And through a season of just deep pain and struggle, we stepped away from our community, moved to Eugene, where I continue to teach. And there are days that I grieve that transition and I wonder, God, why did you take us away from that? But there has also been so much fruit because we listened. I wouldn't be in this room with you if it wasn't for that. My point is this. Be ready for the new thing. I want you to see three things. Generally speaking, when we look at the story, there are three components to God doing new things. Three components. Number one, persistent revelation. Number two, external criticism. And number three, internal. Uh, at the end of the day, you have the sense of internal response or an internal resistance. Let's talk about these three. What happens when we are open to the new thing? Persistent revelation. Uh, listen to Peter's response. He's describing the story of hearing Jesus say, I want you to go to the Gentiles. And he says this, I was in the city of Joppa praying and a trance came upon me and I saw something like a large sheet bring, being let down from heaven by its four corners. It came down to where I was and I looked into it and I saw all these animals, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And then I heard a voice tell me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, important note, notice that this is a trance. A vision, a dream. Uh, we should note in the Bible, right, 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 uh, Sigmund Freud would say that dreams, dreams generally speaking have something to, to say about us. That if you have a dream, that it's your brain telling you something about you. Uh, kind of the Freudian way of thinking about dreams is that dreams reveal something of us as humans. And there may be some truth to that. I, in general, don't agree with Freud, but in this case, I'll give him, uh, I'll give him a, few, a few high fives. But in the Bible, dreams are not about us. Dreams are about God. For Freud, dreams were about us. But for the Bible, dreams and visions reveal something of God's nature. And what does Jesus tell Peter? He says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Now, there's two ways to read this. Okay, one of them, hands down, one of them, basically has to do with bacon. <laughs> um, <laughs> which to, to me is a very important exegetical uh, point to make here. I, I think it's worth, worth pointing this out. Is that part of this, indeed, part of what Jesus is telling Peter, is he says, get up, kill and eat. And he's talking about all these animals that in the Old Testament, you are not permitted to eat. The book of Leviticus st states it clearly. You are not allowed in Leviticus to eat swine in the Old Testament covenant law. And yet Jesus here, Jesus here is saying, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Do not call unclean what God has called clean. And why this is important 
is basically what's going on here is we are seeing the old covenant dietary restrictions that God's people in Israel were once called to be faithful to are no longer binding of God's new covenant people in the church. Translate that. You can eat a BLT. (laughs) To which everybody in the room is profoundly grateful to be a Christian. (laughs) And no doubt, part of this is, and I should say, it's not only an invitation. Jesus literally commands it. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I don't know about you, but I want to do what Jesus says. I'm sort of playing here. I know that we've got vegetarians in the room and I'm not saying you're required to eat meat. My point is, part of this is a very clear move of God's people needing to honor dietary Old Testament Levitical laws and no longer being bound by that. That is one element to this. But there's a little bit more going on here than just bacon. Because the second element to this is that the unclean here are actually the Gentiles. And and basically, you can look at the world as two groups, Jews and everybody else. And that's what the Gentiles are. It's the everybody else. And if you're you're a Jew in in the ancient world, right, if you're part of Israel, if you're, the the Jews represent, in many cases, it represents, in, in broad strokes, it represents dirty people, gross people, untouchable people, the other people, and, and of course, in the Old Testament, if you, were, if you were a Jew, you stayed separate from these people. These were dirty. These were gross. These were people you'd walk around. You wouldn't talk to them. And here you have a clear revelation from the Holy Spirit that Peter and the early Christians were no longer to see those people as those people. Those people were now the people that God sought to save. And I would argue that this has been the storyline of the Bible all the way back to Genesis 4, that God has been leading God's people to a place where God can bring all the world back to Eden. And so the Gentiles are to be included. This story represents God's leading the rest of the world into the kingdom of God and back to the garden. If this chapter were not in the Bible, you and I would not be sitting in this room right now. I am grateful for Acts 11. A few things to notice about Peter's revelation, what he receives from Jesus. I want you to notice a few things here. I want you to notice, first first of all, notice that Peter receives the revelation while he's praying There's an intimate relationship between prayer and revelation. And it should be said, you might put it this way, that prayer is the cradle of revelation. It is the space through which God speaks. And so Peter, he'd been praying and Jesus speaks. I want you to notice too that Peter has an image. It's an image of these, these, the sheet that comes from heaven comes down, this image. Um, Very often in the Bible, you're gonna notice this. Very often in the Bible, God does not speak necessarily through words. Often he speaks through images. Um, If you're a person of prayer, you're gonna experience this. There are gonna be times where you're gonna start having images that don't make any sense to you. 
And here's a good, here's a general rule as a Christian. Just because it doesn't make sense doesn't mean it's not from God. Hold on to that, vi- that vision, that image, that dream. You don't know what that's about. Put that in your back pocket. Don't chuck it just because it's mysterious to you. For heaven's sake, if you go read Ezekiel 1, friends, there are stories in the Bible. You go, they didn't have any idea what these images were about. But you hold on to it. You journal that stuff. It was an image. And notice too that the revelation is a difficult message. Peter would never have as a Jew got up any day of the week and gone, you know, today we should just extend the covenant relationship with God with the dirty Gentiles. You can't, you can't concoct that sort of message. That is often the case how I know when it's the voice of the Lord is when it's never something I would come up with. There's no way that that is the result of the pizza I ate last night. That is totally, God, that is outside of myself. Any moment that you feel, any moment in your life that you feel like you are called to love an enemy or pray for an enemy, that is the Lord because you would never do that on your own. You would never do that on your own. In fact, as a general rule in our home, funny, Quinn and I, my wife and I have a rule that whenever either of us have a sense that we're supposed to be generous and give money away, we immediately do it because neither of us like giving money away. It's gotta be the Lord because it ain't me. Peter receives a difficult message and I want you to notice this. Jesus has to tell him three times. Look at at Peter's life, by the way. Sorry, I gotta roll my sleeves up. It's about to get good. (laughs) Three times. Is this the only time in Peter's life that something happens three times? (laughs) Peter's like the guy of threes. He denies Jesus three times. Jesus restores him three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. And here he has to hear Jesus speak three times. You know, we're all different learners. We've all got... Different way of learning. I'll tell you what Peter's learning style is. Repetition. (laughs) He needs God to say stuff a bunch of times before he gets it. And praise the Lord because some of us identify with Peter and that's like how God speaks to us. Is this sense of like he has to say it a number of times. Here's what I want to say. God is going to do new things. But you got to be careful. There's wisdom in this. And, And there's two. How do you discern what God is doing? If God is going to do a new thing, how can you discern it? And I want to say two things about that. God is persistent and God is consistent. When I say God is persistent, what I mean is we have terrific news. If you are not good at listening, it's okay. Because God is good at speaking. Some of you, I know, have anxiety and you think, I don't, I don't know how to hear God. I don't know what God is saying. I don't know where he's going. And I get those fears. I get those fears. But in the Bible, people do not hear God because their ears are ready to hear. They hear God because God has a billion PhDs in communication. And God knows how to communicate. And here's what's awesome, is that if you don't hear God the first time, great news, you have a God of grace who's probably going to keep speaking. It's like Moses coming up on the burning bush, right? Moses comes up on this burning bush and the burning bush talks to him. 
And the burning bush reveals God's name. And it says Moses, when he walks up to the burning bush in Exodus 3, he looks at the burning bush and it burns and it burns and burns, but it did not burn up. It was burned, but not consumed. Here's what's cool about this. I remember Steve Petzl, who was a mentor of mine years ago, he used to tell me this. He said, AJ, that is how you tell the difference between the voice of your flesh and the voice of the spirit. Is that the voice of the flesh will burn for a little bit, but then burn up. But the voice of the spirit will burn, but it won't go away. If you have had something for years that you know God is inviting you to do, listen to it. God is persistent. And the great news, if you don't hear him well today, it's okay because the God that you and I worship is fabulous at communicating. He's persistent and he's also consistent. Notice, when Peter talks about the voice of the Spirit, he does it by looking at what Jesus had said. Listen to this. Then I remembered what Jesus had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if, I gave, so if God gave the same gift he gave to them and he's gonna give it to them, how could we get in, stand in God's way? I want you to see, this is so critical for the follower of Jesus. Peter discerns the voice of the Spirit in light of the voice of Jesus. Friends, do you and I believe Oh, man, I'm getting excited this morning. Do you and I believe that the Holy Spirit is still speaking? Yes. But friends, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The voice of Jesus will never violate the words of Jesus. Let me translate that. Jesus will never tell you to do something that is inconsistent with this book. Friends, as somebody who believes that God speaks, unfortunately, I have story after story after story of people who, quote unquote, hear the voice of the Spirit and they heard something that this book does not approve of. The voice of the Spirit will never violate the words of Jesus. We must listen to the voice of Jesus to know what is of the Spirit and what is not. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Okay. Persistent revelation. And naturally, number two, critical responses. Notice that after Peter goes to the Gentiles, there are some people in the Jerusalem church who say this, you went and ate with the uncircumcised people? Which interestingly enough is cut and paste from the Pharisees and Sadducees who spoke to Jesus. It is almost as though the earliest Christians was tempted. Are we gonna follow what the Pharisees say? Or are we going to follow what Jesus says? And they are immediate. Peter is immediately critiqued for his incredible act of obedience. You cannot do what God is inviting you to do and expect there to not be some criticism. Because any time in the Bible that somebody does what God says to do, friends, the next story 
is often criticism. God creates the universe in Genesis 1 and 2. Then you have a whole chapter of the serpent coming in trying to destroy the whole thing. God takes Israel out of Egypt. And they get into the desert and Israel begins to complain to God because the food and pomegranates aren't as good as they were in Egypt. God tells his people to return in Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the temple. And immediately upon returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, there are all these people who criticize them for the work they're doing. Part of following Jesus is your willingness to hear the voice of God and act in the face of criticism. When Saul begins to follow Jesus in Acts 9, in the next few chapters, the Christians have no idea what to do with Paul. Is he a persecutor or is he an apostle? We can't tell the difference. Because to follow Jesus and to live into God's new thing will always come with a sense of criticism. I've been doing four lectures on sexuality, gender here over the last year, and I've had an, just an absolute blast. I've been talking about sexuality and gender all over. I just did a, a, a series in Chicago last uh, two weeks ago. Do you think walking or I feel called to do this. And I don't even think I'm very good at it. That's the thing. If you think God's calling you to stuff that you're good at, God's not calling you to things you're good at. He's calling you to things he's calling you to. Friends, do you think talking about sexuality and gender in our culture and time from a biblical perspective, does that make me a bunch of friends? <laughs> Would you like to see my emails? It's terrifying. I feel called by God to talk about it because the church is terrified to talk about it. And God has some great things to say. Not great. God has truth to speak to us. When you enter into the thing God is calling you to do, you can anticipate criticism. Um, I, one of my favorite ways to, to sort of illustrate this, um, the University of Arizona, a number of years ago, um, uh, spent, it was like a billion bucks. They spent this, they, they spent all this money and they built a biodome. You know what a biodome is? It's like this internal ecosystem. There's all this ecosystem illustrations this morning. You're welcome. I know my context. I'm in rural Roseburg, whatever. <laughs> they built this biodome and all these plants, the soil, the soil, the sun, the, all this stuff, all these plants grew like crazy. And the trees in this biodome grew up really fast. And in one year, all the trees, guess what happened? They all fell down. And these scientists are like, well, is there something wrong with the soil? They looked at the soil, the soil's fine. There's plenty of sun, there's plenty of water. And all of a sudden they figured it out. What does a biodome not have any of? No wind. There's no wind. And it turns out when you don't have wind, guess what a tree doesn't have to do? It doesn't have to grow roots. Friends, that criticism for following the voice of God, can, can I be so bold as to say, that is actually God's way of growing you up. The wind, it's painful. But the wind makes you deeper. And thirdly, did this service, by the way, start at 9.15? Is that when we started? Okay. <laughs> Before they cut the power, I just needed to know. <laughs> Thirdly, 
Not only is Peter criticized for obeying Jesus, but thirdly, Peter resists in his own heart. Did you hear his words? The first words out of Peter's mouth to Jesus after he says, go to, the, go to Cornelius and the Gentiles, is Peter simply says, he says, surely not Jesus. And by the way, if there is a sentence I would encourage you to not generally use with God, he's torn. I don't want to do that. And, and I, want, I, want to, I want to, I guess, invite you to consider a part of Peter's story. I think Peter, when Jesus is telling Peter to go to the Gentiles, that Jesus is confronting Peter's heart and Peter's history. One of my favorite thinkers, again, Pete Scazzaro, he likes to say, you know, you may have Jesus in your heart, but you have grandpa in your bones. And the part of following Jesus is not just following Jesus. It's also confronting your history. You know, uh, Jesus calls Peter, it's interesting. You know what Jesus calls Peter? He calls him the son of Jonah. Which really doesn't make sense because there's almost no evidence that his dad's name was Jonah. In fact, Jesus says that his name is Simon, son of John. And then here he says, you're the son of Jonah. There's no evidence his dad's name is Jonah, which would have been so weird. Jesus, why are you calling this guy the son of Jonah? Why is the son of Jonah, Matthew 18? Why? Well, we know the story of Jonah, don't we? In Jonah, God comes to the prophet and he says to the prophet, he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to go and preach to the Ninevites, the Gentiles. I want you to go preach to the Gentiles. And of course, what is Jonah's response? By the way, the word Yonah, Jonah, literally means dove. And the, the rabbis, it was because he was flighty. I'm not kidding, because he was flighty. He hears, Jonah hears God say, go to the Gentiles. And which direction does he go? He goes the literal opposite direction, and then on a boat where there's a storm, sometimes the storms are from God. The people on the boat throw him overboard. He's in the belly of a fish for three days. Not the last time in the Bible that somebody's gonna be in a dark place for three days before coming out. And Jonah comes out, and he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the shortest sermon in the Bible. Five words in Hebrew. 40 days, and then Nineveh's destroyed. That's this whole sermon. It's a depressing sermon. And the entire city of Nineveh turns to God. Jonah goes out of his way to say that the revival in Nineveh was so powerful that even the cattle and the cows in Nineveh repented. When Jonah ran from God, are you ready? Are you ready? How are we doing? When Jonah ran away from God and got on a ship, does anybody know, remember what town he got a ship in? 
Joppa. Now, by the way, Joppa is modern day Tel Aviv. You can go there today. I've been to Tel Aviv. It's Tel Aviv. And he goes to Joppa. He comes to Joppa and he gets on a ship and he goes the other direction from the way God is going. And he, said, and he, and he goes the opposite direction. What town is Peter in when Jesus tells him to go to the Gentiles? He's in Joppa. In the Old Testament, the prophet heard from God to go to the Gentiles and he goes to Joppa to go the wrong way. But now, the prophet hears from God to go to the Gentiles in Joppa and he goes. He is the son of Jonah. But he is now taking his history and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is doing what God calls rather than running away. Come now. In my, uh, in my home group, my, uh, my wife and I host this uh, small group. We have a small group. If you ain't in a small group, folks, you ain't living yet. They're awkward. And they take a lot of work and they're hard. People don't show up. They don't cook, whatever, all that stuff. There's a guy in our small group. His name is James. I've been in James's life for about 20 years. James and Liz have a daughter named Nora. And James, who's about three years younger than I am, James loves his daughter, Nora, more than any father I've ever seen. He just, the way he loves his daughter. Have you ever had a friend who loves their kids and you feel really jealous because you're like, I want to be a parent like them? I look at James and I'm just jealous. He has such a heart for his daughter. And, and that story is powerful because when you know James's story, he was abandoned by his dad at birth. His mom is profoundly broken. And he is giving to his daughter what he never received from a human. And that when James followed Jesus at 16 years old, God gave him the capacity to do for his daughter what nobody ever did for him. Because when you meet Jesus, your history does not define you. I want to close with this. When Peter goes to Cornelius' house, he is not just following Jesus. He is reversing the family tree. And when you willingly follow Jesus, yes, Jesus may be in your heart and grandpa in your bones. Following Jesus puts Jesus in your bones too. And your history is undone. Is that good news? Yes. That good news. Let's pray. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. We have a little more to say. Praise you. Would we be like Peter? Who by following Jesus confront our own history. We may be the son of Jonah. But by the power of Jesus, we can go the opposite direction. Thank you, God. Today, as we conclude our time, 
would we go now with the same spirit that was in Peter to love those around us in unfathomable and unimaginable ways. Go before us. Heal our histories and our stories. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Church, would you say amen with me?